Well, I encourage you to take your Bible and turn with me again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're having a hard time getting through the first 12 verses, but uh, we're going to, you should have this memorized by now, but we're going to come back and read the first 12 verses again of chapter 12, and very soon we'll be going past verse 12, so uh, I hope you believe that. Let's stand in honor of the word, and let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Let's pray. Father, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to be a part of your body, uh, the living body of Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you have made us a part of that body uh, by spiritual regeneration. Uh, Through uh, redemption and salvation, you have uh, made us a part of your forever family. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we want to contribute to the life of your body. And each and every one of us, according to your word, has been given uh, some mix of giftedness. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to use these gifts any way we can to help build up your body. And, Lord, we thank you that you've given us the tools we need to do uh, the things that you've called us to do, to be your people in the world and to do your will. And so, Lord, we uh, pray that you would help us to to implement these things and that uh, as we live, that the dynamic of this church family would just continue to uh, grow and multiply and increase and we see that happening and we praise your name and it's in jesus name that we pray these things amen well this is our fourth week on the subject of spiritual gifts and uh, i think it probably helps each time to do a quick review at least to see where we have been so far Uh, We have looked in our study of spiritual gifts at this point at the importance of the spiritual gifts. They are 
essential to the building up of the body of Christ. We cannot do without any of the gifts operating in the church. Secondly, we looked at the purpose of the spiritual gifts. They are given not only to build up the church, but to preserve the unity of the body. And we looked at how God uses the gifts to accomplish that. Thirdly, we looked at the diversity of spiritual gifts. We are all idiots. We're all, we have a unique mix of gifts. There are no two alike. And, uh, and so we uh, celebrate that diversity that's important in uh, the way God has designed spiritual gifts. Then we started looking at the categories of spiritual gifts, and there are uh, three. We looked at gifted men as the first category, and under that we saw the apostles, and uh, the apostles were given for two purposes, and I'm really making the uh, PowerPoint people work on this uh, tonight, but the apostles were given, uh, first of all, to bear witness to the resurrected Christ, and we looked at that, but secondly, to lay a doctrinal foundation for the church, and then we looked not only at the apostles, but we looked at the New Testament prophets, and these are the gifted men that are mentioned there. And then we started looking at the permanent edifying gifts, some of the gifts that are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit has given for the duration of the church's ministry, the duration of the church's ministry. Um, by the way, I don't, I don't know, I must have left it off my list, but we also had evangelists and pastor teachers in there. And I don't know how I got that off my list, but uh, those should be included as well under gifted men. These permanent edifying gifts are given for a short period of time, uh, excuse me, for uh, the duration of the church. But the other gifts listed here are given for a short period of time for a very specific purpose, and they are no longer needed in the church. We're going to look at those. We're going to look at each one of these uh, one by one, and we already started going down the list, but we didn't get very far last time, so we'll uh, go back over a couple, and then we'll go on from here. There are two groups of permanent edifying gifts. There are speaking gifts, and there are serving gifts, so at least that's how I'm classifying these. So let's look again first at the speaking gifts, and there are five speaking gifts given in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. The first one is the gift of prophecy. We did talk about this last time. This is to be distinguished from the office of the New Testament prophet that we already talked about. And, of course, there's this big debate in the church today, primarily, I think, as a result of charismatic theology, as to whether the gift of prophecy still exists today. And, of course, now with Wayne Grudem, you have this teaching on fallible prophets and all this other stuff that's going on. Uh, I don't think we can really take a position dogmatically on this because it probably depends on how you define this gift. 
The word that is used here literally means to speak before an audience or to speak publicly. It does not necessarily mean to predict or to reveal. And we know uh, early in the church and before the New Testament was canonized, uh, that aspect of prophecy was part of it, but not for the duration of the church. Most often this gift is used in the sense of proclaiming something that God has already revealed. And if this gift is indeed still for today, which I believe it is, then that would be the use of that gift in our day and time. Proclaiming God's truth that he's already revealed. We would call this the gift of preaching. This is the gift of preaching. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. I mentioned that I really wish the Bible translators had used the word proclaiming instead of prophecy because then there wouldn't be as much confusion about this. This is the gift of proclaiming God's truth to men. And there's never been a time in the history of the church when where we've not needed this gift. We've needed uh, the gift of prophecy to exhort and to uh, uh, edify and to console the church. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14.1 indicates that this is one of the most vital gifts in the life of the church. We need preaching. We need the preaching of the word. And God always gives this gift in the church. First uh, Corinthians fourteen one says, "Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy." And we get to chapter fourteen. This is going to be a lot clearer, I hope. Um, but the reason why we want the gift of prophecy is because that's the gift that makes God's truth clear, not the other gifts. This is what makes God's truth clear. Now, we need to recognize that there was a time in the church's infancy when this gift was also revelatory in nature. At one point, it involved the giving of new revelation by God, but that was only during the time of the apostles and the New Testament prophets. After the completion of the canon of the New Testament, this gift became limited to that of reiterating God's truth that had already been revealed. Once the canon was complete, God was no longer giving new revelation. God's not giving new revelation today, as some believe. And I believe that one of the best definitions for the gift of prophecy is found in Revelation 19.10. And we looked at this passage last time, but it says this. This is... John's testimony, then I fell at his feet, the angel's feet, to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And then that last phrase is the key. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is prophecy? It's giving the testimony of of Jesus. And what is the testimony of Jesus? It is the New Testament. 
And so what does a prophet do? He proclaims the truth of the New Testament and really the Old Testament too because the Old Testament provides the foundation for that testimony of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14.37 indicates that any who would exercise this gift will be judged by the word. So how do you know if a preacher is preaching the truth or not? Well, you take the word of God and you hold it up to and you compare that to what he's saying and see if it matches up. That's the standard. He's to be judged by the word. If he's not teaching according to the truth of Scripture, he's a false prophet. So to summarize there, prophecy is the gift of proclaiming God's revealed truth. At one time it was revelatory, but when the Bible was finished, that aspect of its function ceased. And remember, Revelation 22:18 warns us, if anyone adds to the words of this prophecy, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in the book. There are stern warnings in regard to the use of the gift of prophecy. God said there are two things that you're not to do to my word. You're not to take away from it, and you're not to add to it. Don't do either of those two things. And there are very severe penalties mentioned to show how serious this is. And yet, as I mentioned last time, there are those in the church today who are claiming all kinds of new words of revelation uh, from God when the truth of the matter is the revelatory aspect of uh, God's uh, revelation is finished. It belonged to the infancy of the church, but it concluded at the closing of the canon. And so now only the non-revelatory aspect of prophecy continues. Well, we also mentioned another speaking gift. All this is just review so far, and that is the word of knowledge, uh, 1 Corinthians 12:8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And we answered the question what this gift is. Here's a a definition I gave last time. It is the Spirit-given ability to observe facts and make conclusions. In other words, it's the ability to understand the Bible. There are some believers who have a special ability to draw spiritual insights from scripture and to point out facts and to make observations and to draw conclusions and these often are teachers in the church and again like the gift of prophecy there was a time in the life of the church when this gift was also revelatory but it too began became a gift of reiteration of god's truth Now, the way the charismatics view this gift is, I believe, a failure to understand that special revelation ceased with the completion of the New Testament canon. Because charismatic understanding of the word of of knowledge is is different. They, They have some kind of miraculous aspects to this gift, a revelatory aspects. Now, I think the best definition of this gift uh, found in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 13.2. If 
you're in 1 Corinthians 12, so flip over to 1 Corinthians 2. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. So we already talked about the gift of prophecy, the first part of that. But this last part, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge. This is the gift of being able to understand the mysteries that have been revealed by God. Where have they been revealed? They've been revealed in his word. But this is an ability to understand these mysteries. It's often connected with the gift of teaching or the gift of prophecy. It uh, usually doesn't stand alone as a separate gift, but uh, it is usually mixed with one of the other two. It has to do with the God-given ability to understand the knowledge that God has revealed to us through Scripture. Then there's a third speaking gift that that was all review now we're now we're going on some new stuff there's a third speaking gift and that is the word of wisdom uh, that one is also listed in first corinthians twelve eight. what is this gift well it's not the same as the word of knowledge with this gift the emphasis is not on knowledge of the facts but on the practical application of truth. This is a little different gift. Now, often these gifts go together. As I mentioned, they're usually as a mix. So those who are preachers and teachers of God's word may have the ability to do both. But this gift is the ability to understand God's word and to make application in regard to how we are to obey it. This is the way it is used most, of, most often in the New Testament. Knowledge is collecting and organizing facts. Wisdom is the application of the truth. And by the way, sometimes you may hear a teacher that is able to do a good job in giving information about God's word, but is not as strong in the application of it. Other times, there may be someone who is right in application, but is not as diligent in exegesis. And many times, this is because there's a difference in the gifts. One may have the word of knowledge gift. The other may have the word of wisdom gift. For others, uh, it might be a mix of the two. And of course, in good expositional teaching, there should be both information and application. But some may do one better than the other, depending on their gifts. Well, let's go on to a fourth speaking gift, which is teaching. This gift is listed in Romans 12.7, not in 1 Corinthians, Romans 12.7. First of all, we need to understand that this is distinct from the office of teacher that we mentioned earlier. One is an office or position. The other is a gift. The gift of teaching can be defined as the ability in the Holy Spirit to pass on the truth of God to others. Those who have this gift may also have the word of knowledge gift and or the word of wisdom gift. But when we talk about gifted teachers, we're referring to those who have a special ability to help others 
understand the truth of God. Not everyone who knows how to do something can teach it to others. You know that, right? Have you ever known someone who is a really talented person, but when they try to teach someone else to do what they do, they can't do it? This is different. It's one thing to be able to do it yourself. It's something else to be able to teach it to another person. And someone with the gift of teaching not only understands the Word of God, but they have a special ability to help others understand it as well. They, they have this special ability to pass on that truth to others. Now, there are many Greek forms of the basic word teach in the New Testament. Uh, there's didaskalos, there's diasco, there's uh, didacticos, etc., etc. Many forms of, of this word. All of the various forms of the root word mean the same thing, and that is systematic teaching or training. That's, that's the idea behind this word, this word group. And the idea here is like that of a choir, Pastor Michael, a choir director who trains his choir over a period of time until they're able to perform well. That's the concepts of a teacher. And this gift is the ability to pass on truth in a systematic progression so that someone receives it, implements it, and a change of behavior takes place. Gift of teaching. Then there's the gift of exhortation. Exhortation. This gift is listed in Romans 12.8. What is exhortation? Well, the Greek word is parakaleo. As you probably know, the word parakletos, comforter, is a term used to refer to the Holy Spirit. But this word means to comfort, to help, to advise, or to strengthen. You could probably call this the gift of strengthening, and you'd be pretty accurate. This is the gift that a counselor often has. It's the ability to provide comfort, courage, help, and strength to those who need it. It can come through the pulpit as well because prophecy includes exhortation. It can also come through teaching or one-on-one discipleship and in many other ways. It's the ability to come alongside someone who has a problem or a struggle and to build them up, to encourage them, and to help them bear their load. Before we go on and examine the service gifts, I just want to point out how beautifully all of the speaking gifts work together. It's interesting. Prophecy proclaims the truth. Knowledge clarifies the truth. Wisdom applies the truth. Teaching imparts the truth. And exhortation helps with obedience to the truth. So all the gifts working in different ways, helping to accomplish God's purpose. And all these speaking gifts working together for the full purpose of God's 
revelation to us. Well, let's move now to the next category of permanent edifying gifts, which are the serving gifts. The serving gifts. The serving gifts are those gifts that are oriented around helping others. They're not verbal gifts, but doing gifts. They're designed to meet people's needs. There are six of these gifts, and the first one is leadership. Leadership. Leadership is listed both in Romans 12.8 and in 1 Corinthians 12.28. In 1 Corinthians 12.28, we see the word administrations or governments. Romans 12.8 says, he who leads with diligence. All of these words are synonymous and refer to the gift of leadership. The word ruling in the King James Version means to lead, to manage, to have charge of, to oversee, or to rule. This is leadership. The word governments basically means the same thing, but it has a unique literal meaning to steer a ship. It's like the helmsman of a ship. In other words, uh, this is the one who charts the course, the one who knows the destination, the one who's able to keep the ship on course. This is leadership. Leadership is the ability to see an objective, to formalize it, to mobilize a group of people and then get them to reach that objective. It is the ability to make decisions, to determine direction, one who is an organizer, a motivator, an administrator. All these things come into this. Really, two words, I think, best describe the gift of leadership, direction and decision-making. Direction and decision-making. Leaders are those who give direction to the church and have the ability to make decisions in such a way as to move the organization forward. Now, some people have the idea that this gift belongs to pastors, elders, and overseers. In other words, that it doesn't belong to the general population of the church, but only to the people who are pastors or elders. Now, it is true that pastors usually have this gift, but the Bible does not say that they must have this gift, nor does it indicate that they are the only ones with this gift. And it is true that pastors and elders are the ones who are ultimately responsible for leading the church, but there may be others in the body who also have this gift, and they can help with the direction and leadership of the church as a whole. So that's the gift of leadership. The next gift is the gift of serving. And all these gifts are service gifts, but according to 1 Corinthians 12:5, there is a special gift that focuses on serving in general. It's often called the gift of helps or ministry. The Greek word that is used here literally means to take a burden off someone else and place it on yourself. This is a burden carrier. The person with this gift has a unique ability to lighten other people's loads. 
And by the way, this is a great gift for a deacon to have. The role of the deacons is primarily that of meeting needs in the church body, and this gift really helps with that ministry. But the people who have this gift as their primary gift are people whose greatest joy and labor of love is to serve other people. This is the idea of this gift. And I personally believe this is one of the most important gifts in the body, and therefore it's the most common gift. We, we need more people with the gift of service than any other gift, I believe. And perhaps you would never think of getting up and preaching a sermon or teaching a class or singing a solo, but you can take someone a meal or you can uh, give someone a ride to the pharmacy to pick up their medication or you can uh, help clean someone's house or you can mow someone's lawn. Those are service-oriented activities. Now, we should all be doing those kinds of things in service to one another. But those who have this gift are just going to thrive at this. And this gift is absolutely necessary to the health and the progress of the body of Christ. Uh, This gift doesn't often attract a lot of attention because it's usually done behind the scenes. No one knows about it many, many times. People who have this gift also have humility. They just... They don't, they don't want any attention. They just want to exercise their gift and just minister in Jesus' name. And because this is the case, none of the Corinthian believers were interested in this gift. They wanted the showy upfront gifts, as we're going to see. <clears throat> but they would have been better off if they had been content to exercise this gift in the church. Let's go on to another service gift and that is the gift of giving gift of giving you know there aren't too many people seeking this gift either but according to romans 12 8 it is a special gift romans 12 8 says he who gives with liberality the one who has this gift should exercise it with great liberality the word for gives there is a compound greek word The normal word for give is didomai. It simply means to give. But this is the compound word metadidomai, which means a super giver. Someone who has this gift is a super giver. Now, don't get excited here and start thinking, well, you know, I don't have to give because I don't have the gift of giving. No, all believers are called upon to be faithful stewards and to give according to the standard of God's grace. But the Bible tells us that there are some who have the gift of giving who give over and above and give liberally. And we know the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 that we're to sow bountifully in order to reap Bountifully, That applies to all of us. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, that all of us are to lay aside something for the Lord on the first day of the week in accordance with how the Lord has prospered us. That's for all of us. Responsibility all of us have. And there are many passages in the New Testament that make it clear that God expects 
for all of us to be faithful in giving to the Lord. But there are some who are super givers. There are some of us who are going to go beyond the normal because God has, first of all, blessed them in such a way that they can do this, but also because God has given them this gift of giving. And the gift of giving, again, is not a public gift. It is not to be done for public display like the Pharisees. It is to be done as unto the Lord in a private manner. So don't blow the trumpets before you put your offering in the offering plate. Then there's the gift of mercy. This is found in Romans 12, 8. The word mercy means pity or compassion. This gift relates to those who are in need, such as those in poverty, orphans, widows, etc. The spirit of this gift is like what was portrayed in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is ministering to someone without any thought of return. It is ministering to those who are in misery of some kind. A person with this gift is going to have a difficult time not getting involved when they see any kind of human suffering. Because this is, you know, if you've got this gift, that is immediately going to trigger that gift and you're going to want to get involved and do something to help meet that need. The gift of mercy is the enablement to sympathize with a suffering person and to do something to relieve that suffering if possible. And again, that doesn't mean if you don't have this gift, you don't serve in this way, but it means some just have just an extra measure of that. Then there's the gift of faith. Faith. This is found in 1 Corinthians 12.9. What is this gift? It is a supernatural capacity for believing God. It goes beyond the normal faith of believers in the Christian life. It's not saving faith because all believers have that. And as Christians, all of us are, are commanded to live by faith. But those who have this gift of faith have a special ability to trust God. You might say they have super faith. Super faith. In the days of the apostles, I believe that this gift was connected with astonishing miracles. It was given to the apostles and the New Testament prophets as a way of validating their authority. But in our day, it's usually connected with intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. And those who have this gift are prayer warriors who have a special ability given by God to trust God and to intercede even in the midst of great trials and enormous obstacles. So again, this gift is very important. Then there is the gift of discernment. Discernment. This gift is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12.10. The Greek word for discern is diakrino. It means to judge through, to see through to the truth, to truly evaluate something. Now, in the early church, this gift was the watchdog or the patrol or guardian for the church. 
In the early years of the church, the New Testament had not been written down. And there were all kinds of false prophets out there claiming that God had said this or that. And it was difficult to know who was really speaking for God. And so God gave some believers this gift of discernment to be able to warn the church when there was a false teacher or a false prophet. And sadly, those in the Corinthian church were apparently not listening to those with this gift because, as we have already seen, there was even someone in their assembly that had stood up and pronounced that Jesus is accursed. Chapter 12, verse 3. But those with the gift of discernment will stand up when they hear something that is not true according to Scripture, and they'll say, wait, that's false. This is not the Spirit of God speaking. This is not what is taught in God's Word. Gift of discernment. This gift is very important in the church today as well. Very much so. Now, some believe this gift has ceased, but I believe it is still a very important gift for the church. Even though we now have the Bible, we have both the Old and New Testaments, the completed canon. But it's still a necessary gift in the church. Even with the written word, there have always been those who have taught things that do not line up with Scripture, and there have always been those who have led people astray from sound doctrine. And so there's a need in the church for those who are able to see this and are willing to stand up and say, that's not right. That's not right. That's not biblical. This kind of person seems to have an intuitive ability to tell truth from error. Now, some of these people in modern times have been those who have exposed, for example, the error of the cults, such as the late Walter Martin. Others seem to have the special ability to identify false doctrines, such as John MacArthur, Al Mohler, and others. These people are the watchmen of the church. And I, for one, am very thankful for their diligent exercise of this gift. Greg Kukul is another one that comes to my mind. Well, these are the permanent edifying gifts. And all these are essential for the health and the vitality of the church. And all of us who are genuine believers in Christ, have at least one of these gifts. And God intends for us to be using these gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So how are we doing with that? Are we using our spiritual gifts for his purpose and his work? Or are we neglecting those gifts as the Corinthians were, at least some of them, The command of God is to use the gifts he has given to us in the church. We need to make sure we're doing that. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, again thank you for these clear instructions. Lord, there's no reason to wonder or guess about these things. You've given them to us. And so, Lord, we pray you to help us to uh, 
not only uh, rightly understand them, but uh, to look at our own lives and see how you've gifted us. And uh, even more than that, to roll up our sleeves and to begin to work and serve and uh, utilize any gifts that we might possibly have for your purposes, for your glory, and to help build up your church. Help us to do that. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.